Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, brought to you by Martel Blue Swift. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day, and my guest on this afternoon's episode is Nick Woodman, the founder and CEO of GoPro. Nick first started the company in 2002 when he realised it might be fun to record his surfing antics on a wrist strap camera. The rest, as they say, is history, and adrenaline junkies, performers and sports stars have been using these incredibly smart and nearly indestructible cameras to record just about everything ever since. Today, Nick tells us how he sold Indonesian shell necklaces to fund the first ever GoPros, why it's important to put a deadline on your success, and how it's good to be a little bit scared once in a while. Nick, thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to start kind of near the beginning because you obviously are a tech founder, but your background seems about as untech as it gets. You went to visual arts college, you were a surfer for many years, and it's a long way away from product development and numbers and marketing. Do you think that kind of outsider status actually helped you when it came to setting up GoPro? Oh, there's no question. A GoPro is a very different kind of company. It's, I think, arguably the first lifestyle tech brand um, mm. that it's the only one I can think of um, that's truly lifestyle uh, focused. When you think of GoPro, yes, you think about innovation and technology, um, but I think what comes to most people's minds first is um, big adventurous lifestyle, pursuing one's passions. You think about um, you know, all the interesting people around the world who are sharing really interesting experiences. You think about that amazing GoPro video you've, you've, you've watched uh, before the technology, which is something I'm really proud of. Mm. Um, GoPro stands for something much bigger than, than technology. It's an it's, it's a aspirational brand that motivates people to live a bigger life. And I think that's born out of the, the founding of GoPro, which was in sport. And um, our desire to help people capture and share their their sport, and then their ultimately their active lifestyle in a way that just wasn't possible before. Yeah. And before GoPro, you had a couple of other kind of techie companies, didn't you? Uh, you had a games company, I believe, and then another one which was a electronics store in a way. Right. How did those go? Uh, they didn't go so well. Okay. Uh, my my first business idea was. Um, EmpowerAll.com, and the idea was the, uh, to sell consumer electronics uh, for a two-dollar markup. Right. What's the typical markup on a usual? A lot more than two bucks. Okay. And uh, I, I was a one-man band, and um, sold a, a camera and a laptop uh, on the site before I realized that. Um, it was just going to be too much for me to take on. Right. So it was a bit of a project, um, more so than a business. And uh, then my second uh, business was funbug.com, which was a online game company. Um, and we actually developed it, built it into the web's second most addictive website okay. at, at one point. Yeah. What was number one? Uh, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, people were, there was a media metrics was an agency that was tracking how much time people were spending on various websites uh, back in the 1999, 2000, 2001 timeframe. 
and yeah, we, we, we built the second most addictive web property. Um, problem is we, we didn't know how to make money. It, it was, and, and that, that, it was an advertising based business. And when the first, um, dot com, uh, crash happened, um, all advertising businesses that weren't making money went the way of the, the dodo bird. And we were one of them. Uh, but that, that taught me a lesson, um, uh, in the importance in focusing on uh, something that you personally really care about and that you're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Funbug was more of a business for me. Uh, it wasn't a passion. Okay. And I got it uh, right the third time around with GoPro, which was passion first. It, it, I, GoPro wasn't even a business at first. It was just my own personal uh, passion for surfing and photography that led to the first GoPro. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, that, that turned into my 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 best idea so what was the eureka moment what was the moment when you went from passion to business well i was 26 years old when i had the idea for gopro uh, i had four years left on my clock to succeed as an entrepreneur is that is that true do you think yeah when i was 22 years old i <laughs> i decided i wanted to be an entrepreneur uh and i promised myself until the age of 30 to be successful right because i knew it would be challenging i knew i would fail um but i really wanted to commit to it um and I would only commit until 30 because if I hadn't been successful by then, I figured I should probably go get a real job so that I could afford, you know, to get married and have kids. And, and that's another dream of mine that I'm, I'm happily uh, living out now with my wife and three young boys. Um, but I was 26 uh, and I had no inspiration uh, for what to do next. I, I'd saved a bit of money from my previous business and... Um, clock was ticking. And after six months of not finding any inspiration, I decided to go on a surf trip around Australia and Indonesia for uh, five months because I figured that um, I wasn't going to have any good ideas sitting on my couch trying to th think of something. I, I, I should hit the road. And I believe when people are pursuing their, their passions and, and certainly when they're traveling, they're um, very inspired. You know, you're meeting different people, uh, experiencing different cultures. Uh, different sights, sounds, and smells that really stimulate the mind. And I thought I'll, I'll have an idea on the road. And as it turned out, I had my idea for GoPro before I even left. Um, I, I figured this would probably be the last great surf trip that I take of that magnitude. I mean, a five-month trip is not an easy thing to take. And um, I set about to make a wrist strap that would allow me to wear a single-use waterproof camera to my wrist uh, while I was surfing. And uh, the prototype worked so well um, that I thought, wow, I, I might have had my big business idea before I've even left for the trip. And I, I used the, that five-month trip to further develop the idea. And, and in the end, it was the first surf trip that I was ever excited to come home from because okay. I was so excited to start GoPro. Yeah. Usually you spend all your money on the trip. You come home broke, move back in with your parents, go get a job as a waiter to try to save up to go on another surf trip. But uh, this is I actually came back a little bit early from this surf trip because yeah. I was so excited about the idea. And is it true you sold shell necklaces that you made that you bought in Bali or something? Belts. 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 Um, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, so I'm happy to say that that worked out. Okay, good. Uh, she came back to our little bungalow in Bali uh, one day wearing this beautiful bead and shell belt. Uh, and and when she told me how much she paid for it, I said, we got to go back to that shop and, and order some and take them, take them back to California and sell them. 
And so we ordered uh, 600 of them, and they were done two months later by the time we flew home. And then we spent the next couple of months driving up and down the coast of California selling uh, the belts out of the back of yeah. our, our 70s Volkswagen bus. <laughs> okay. So that was... the. The, the it's true that uh, the seed money for GoPro was um, generated selling bead and shell belts out of an old 70s Volkswagen. Yeah, that's which incredible. I think, which I think is pretty cool. That's <laughs> pretty cool. So what were the first prototypes like and how did you get those made, knowing nothing really about technology or cameras? The first GoPro was a wrist camera. Uh, it was a 35 millimeter film camera that you strapped to your wrist. That uh, I, I made... I should go back to the beginning. I'm, I'm not an engineer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more of just an idea uh, person. And, uh, and I work with engineers and uh, people much more capable uh, than I to actually turn an idea into reality. Um, but at UC San Diego, I was a visual arts major. And almost every class I had seemed to involve a project where you'd go and find found objects in the world, things that already exist. And then the goal was to repurpose them into something new, mm-hmm. into an art piece. And that's really how GoPro started. I found things that existed in the world, um, in the case of the strap, a, a bodyboard uh, leash for the wrist that I refashioned into a uh, strap for a camera. And I found first a uh, you know, single-use reusable, or sorry, single-use Kodak film camera mm-hmm. you could buy for $20 at a grocery store. And that was my first prototype. And um, then when I realized to make any money, I was going to have to actually sell a camera with the strap, not just have people go buy single-use cameras. I went on the early version of Alibaba mm. and found uh, a camera that looked like I could repurpose it for my needs I ordered a couple of them, not knowing if I'd ever get my, my money uh, uh, back or the product. Uh, the, the cameras arrived, and I uh, went and got blocks of plastic that I dremeled uh, into the uh, fitments that I needed to put on the camera to get mm-hmm. it to attach to the strap, and I FedExed the prototype camera back to the China, and we go back and forth like this until we got it right. Uh, so you never and, met them. You never and went some two years later, I launched the first GoPro. Wow. Never met them, and and we had one phone call, um, and their English was better than my Chinese, that's for sure. But it wasn't good enough that yeah. for us to communicate. Uh, so we we agreed that the call the phone call was very short, and we agreed we should just do this via email, and um, we we together uh, with this factory developed the, the the first GoPro entirely over email. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of my room at my dad's house um, and launched GoPro as a one-man band. Uh, it took two years to go from idea to product on a shelf. I thought it would take three or four months, but it took quite a bit longer than yeah. that. Uh, and and uh, I was able to roll the success of that first um, modest GoPro film wrist camera um, into the next product and the next product and the next product uh, until uh, here we are today. Yeah. So you, you went to trade shows and you sold this in surf shops up and down the country. And what were the big breakthroughs early on? When did you realize there was a, a mass market for this? Well, my initial aspiration for GoPro were pretty humble. I just wanted to be successful in the surf industry. Mm. Uh, and until I 
realized how small the surf industry is. It's, it's, right. a, it's a terrific industry, but it's small. And well, it's much bigger now actually than when I was uh, starting GoPro. But um, I, I'd say GoPro is, is quite a bit older than most people uh, imagine. I started it in 2002, launched the first product in 2004, um, and then proceeded to hire one friend or family member a year for the next several mm-hmm. years and until um, we launched our H, our first HD GoPro, the HD Hero, which is really the first modern GoPro that I think most people would associate with being a GoPro uh, in fall of 2009. And at that point, I think we, we still only had 20-something employees. Um, so very slow, uh, humble beginnings. And it, it, I'd say it really wasn't until um, the summer of 2009 when I tested, was testing the first HD Hero. I took it surfing and got home and plugged my, my HD Hero into the television. And when I saw how incredible the footage looked, I, I teared up and I, I, I really felt for the first time that um, this was going to change everything in the world of cameras. Yeah. Uh, insofar as we were going to be enabling people to capture brilliant, uh, high-quality images, video of themselves uh, pursuing their passion and, and enabling, really, for the first time, the world to see itself doing what it loves to do. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really the big innovation uh, that I, I think we're famous for, is we allowed the world to turn the camera around on itself. Um, the, the first time we, we ever heard the term selfie was actually referring to GoPro footage, wow. believe it or not. So you invented we, the selfie accidentally? Uh, well, our customers, <laughs> okay, I yeah. think, um, they invented it. Um, and it, it actually, a selfie was a derogatory term at first. Sometimes it still is. It still Sadly. is, yeah. Um, it's, it's more socially accepted and celebrated now, but um, there was a period where uh, there was a question about all of this self-capture and turning the camera around on oneself, and is that just too uh, self-promotional? Yeah. And um, there were a few, uh, there was a, a bit of a, the, the haters started to come out, if you will, uh, commenting on people's shared videos and photos, and oh, another selfie. And I remember within the company, we thought, oh no, this is not good if, right. if people, uh, start to get annoyed with seeing other people celebrating and, and sharing themselves in this way. Um, and then over time, I think what Go, the GoPro customer community was sharing just was increasingly that entertaining yeah. and awesome that it turned into a positive. And then as um, phones started to uh, more easily enable self-capture, we saw the, the the selfie term being applied to yeah. um, phone content as well, but that's a little known fact. Wow, I, I can't prove it, but it's, it's a very good it, case. It was uh, yeah, it, it was clear to us at the time. And that content has obviously performed a huge kind of marketing purpose for you. But what what are the what are some of the most surprising or unexpected ways people have ended up using your cameras? Well, that's one of the most beautiful. Uh, aspects of our brand and, and of working at GoPro is that we are a brand and a business built um, on the shared experiences of millions of the most interesting mm. people around the world. Um, it, it, the magic of GoPro's brand doesn't stem from a marketing or ad campaign. It, it stems from 
the creative exploits of millions of people around the world getting up to all sorts of inventive, creative things and showing us, uh, the audience, uh, what the world is, is up to. Um, things that really blow my mind over the years uh, ha have blown my mind or uh, one that always comes to mind is a, uh, an animal refuge in Tanzania that found a, an orphan uh, pelican that didn't know how to fly. And the, uh, they took it in and, and um, it was after a storm and had been orphaned. And uh, the workers at the refuge taught the pelican how to fly by running up and down the beach, flapping their arms like wings, just like yeah. a parent pelican would. And in a very uh, humane way, they attached a GoPro to the bill of the pelican for the pelican's very first flight. Wow. And so you can see this story on the GoPro channel on YouTube, the, um, the, the, the first flight of the pelican. And it's a uh, just an unexpected, you can't script this uh, type of life moment that um, a GoPro in the hands of a, of a very creative customer and a very... Uh, willing pelican uh, enabled a perspective that we would never have seen before yeah. if it wasn't for GoPro. And and I love to show those types of videos to my kids uh, because more so than somebody hucking a backflip off a cliff or something because okay. uh, it's it's really meaningful to unlock these perspectives that, that we would never see if it wasn't for our cameras and our customers. Yeah. From that 2009 point you spoke about, the company kind of grew year on year and got stronger and stronger, and your team grew all around the world. Was it difficult to grow so quickly and keep on top of such a big team and, and such a profitable business? Absolutely. Uh, the, the product idea uh, and the building of the brand initially was the easy part, I think. Um, the scaling of it uh, is, uh, has been really challenging because um, I'd say the hardest part of business is the people part. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's really taught me the importance of uh, culture and teamwork and um, compatibility amongst um, the team. Yeah. Uh, getting that right is paramount. And when you have it right, it's amazing. When you have it wrong, uh, it's amazing in the wrong direction how much time and energy you can spend just on human issues. Um, but I, I think that uh, we're in a really good place today. We've got um, an incredible team around the world, um, and we're the most uh, tight-knit we've ever been mm. because GoPro's been through a lot. We've had f fabulous growth years and then very challenging years, and it's a bit like you know battle. Uh, you really f learn who your friends are, yeah, and um, the people who are, are at GoPro are incredibly tight-knit, and we refer to ourselves as a family. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful place to be. And what do you look for when you're hiring someone? Is there a kind of checklist or do you have a test? Do you go down to the pub with them or a local <laughs> bar and, and see how they get on? Cultural compatibility is, is huge. It's, um, it, and passion is incredibly important. Um, obviously experience is important, but I, I rate passion, uh, and, and cultural compatibility higher. Uh, because you can have somebody that's very capable, but if they don't fit, uh, and they could be wonderful people, it's just we have a culture at GoPro and a way of working, mm. and um, for their happiness and 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 for ours, 
uh, cultural compatibility uh, is really important. That's the same for any business. Yeah. Um, and I'm a big believer that uh, people can grow into a role and um, uh, I don't expect people to come with, with, with all the experience on day one. And, and uh, if they have a passion for what we do and they're, they're there for the right reasons, uh, then we can help them be great and they can help us be great. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in that because GoPro was built by a band of friends uh, that had no experience, but we were chock full of passion and I'm really proud of what we accomplished. Yeah. And what, what is the culture like in the office? Obviously, it's a really outdoorsy company on the customer end, but is it the same at your end? Do you, do you go surfing a lot still? Yes. And uh, we're very active. We have, um, in fact, every Thursday uh, from for three hours uh, in, in, the, in the middle of the day, our, uh, it's, we call it Live It. And it's where we encourage our employees to leave the office and go pursue an interest uh, with their their coworkers. Right. Go go surfing. Go mountain biking. Uh, go go play in a in a band. Um, go do something that's of personal interest to you. Use your GoPro to capture the experience so that you um, are experiencing what our customers experience. Uh, the, the, the good and the bad, feel the, the friction points in our product so that you can be inspired and motivated to improve upon the product. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't want everybody just sitting at their desks or in meetings all day long every day. Uh, we want uh, them uh, living the brand and also um, living the product as our customers do so that they can be inspired and motivated to come back and improve things. So what do you do on that Thursday afternoon? Honestly, I get I end up catching up on work more than I should. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm it's a bad habit of mine that uh, I I when I'm in the office I love to work, and um, but no I'll go uh, mountain biking or I'll go uh, rip a car in the mountains. Okay. We have really good driving near us, um, and uh, go for a surf. Uh, we're, we're fortunate that the headquarters of GoPro um, is in the Bay Area, uh, just south of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So we're in a we're in a pretty pretty good environment for it. You know, one of your questions that you often ask people, I, I've learned, is what's what's one of your biggest regrets? Yes, I do wish that I started GoPro um, either at the beach or in a mountain town. Okay, it is. You can I, still move. I, I felt that I needed to start it in the Bay Area. This is where I'm from, and I wanted my my family. Uh, network of support to help me. Um, th that was definitely helpful getting to go live with my dad during the, the first couple of years. But I, I now realize that, uh, that, that when, when you've got a great brand and a great product, you can attract people to move to great places. And I think that that's something that we're going to see more of in the, in the future, that um, some really amazing companies are going to start up uh, start to pop up in really amazing yeah. places because there's a hunger for it. Uh, definitely in California, people are it's getting crowded and people are wanting a better work-life balance. And um, who knows? GoPro might open up a, an office in the mountains yet. Okay. So you spoke about the family and the kind of highs and lows that you've experienced together. I suppose one of the big highs was probably in 2012, was it? When you got uh, investment from Foxconn, which is a Taiwanese company. Mm. Um, and that investment put the valuation of GoPro at about 
2.5 billion dollars mm. which obviously increased your stake uh, a great deal and british people hate talking about money but how did it feel um to become almost overnight a billionaire mm. there's a validation that comes with um evaluation it's a bit of a scorecard mm-hmm. um it's been fulfilling to have gopro publicly recognized as one of the great brands in the world and sure with that comes valuation and 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 a bit of money uh and that's never a bad thing but the most valuable uh benefit of that i think is the the global recognition and respect that the, the company has has achieved um and you know when i go drop my kids off at school or pick them up and 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 their classmates are excited uh to see me it's not because of evaluation uh or money it's because uh, there's Hugo's dad, the, the guy that invented GoPro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So that having GoPro be globally renowned as a as a great product company, as a great brand is something I'm most proud of. And since then, you spoke about the lows. What, what have been the, the more challenging moments in the years since then, especially since you went public in 2014? Well, I mean, after so many years of success, you know, GoPro was up and to the right for 12 years. Uh, it's been it's been challenging uh, last uh, two and a half three years as we tried some new things, mm-hmm. and uh, we were unsuccessful with them. And that, that's that's tough. I mean, when when you're you're on such a roll, um, it's a watch out that um, it's easy to believe that any new venture you go into, you're going to be just as successful as as your primary business. And um, the, the, the watch out that I give to other entrepreneurs is, um, you know, it's a sports analogy, but just because you're a World Series winning pitcher doesn't necessarily mean you can go and win the Super Bowl as a quarterback. Yeah. You're still using your arm to throw a ball, but it's a completely different game. And um, don't think that your skill or experience in one game so easily translates to another. And if you look at um, at other businesses that have attempted to uh, expand success in one business into other businesses, you recognize that very few have done it. Um, it's very challenging. Uh, brand is an amazing thing, and what it becomes known for can also make it uh, challenging for it to grow into into other things. And we found that to be the case at GoPro. Not not so much because of our brand, just but because of our 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 passion, our focus, the momentum that we have in certain directions, uh, it makes it difficult to take on new things and be as successful. So I'd say that's that's been the most disappointing aspect yeah. um, in my in my career. But over the last year, we've realigned GoPro to what our customers are most interested in from us, and we've returned to um, our. our Approach that we had uh, before going uh, public, and we've we've actually seen momentum swing back to us. So there's uh, a lot of satisfaction that comes with coming be- getting back to our roots, uh, and uh, having launched uh, our most uh, successful new product ever, Hero Seven Black, this holiday. It's the best-selling camera we've ever made. Wow. So that, that feels good as well. It's, it's GoPro's on the comeback. Okay, good. And what is it about Hero 7 Black, do you think, that, that's turned the fortunes around? 
Well, I think it's directly related to focusing on what our customers want most from us. Um, and that is an amazing hero camera that helps them capture their, their, their active lifestyles uh, in a more convenient uh, and successful way. And with Hero 7 Black specifically, we asked our customers what they wanted most from us, and we went and built it for them. And at the top of their list was um, stabilization that rivaled that of a gimbal. Okay. A gimbal is a motorized stabilizer that you put a camera into, and it, it, it helps you get very stable video, even if you were sprinting with it. Um, and we built that level of stabilization into Hero 7 Black itself, uh, which is something that people didn't think was possible, but we've got some of the best image scientists in the world, and bless them, they figured it out. And um, it, it, it really, it's a sense, it, it's a source of pride for me and for the company because it's not only the best video stabilization that's ever been in a GoPro, it's the best video stabilization that's ever been in a camera, period, at any price point. It's a, it's a massive innovation. Uh, and it's fitting that it comes from the company that enables the type of activity capture that that we do. Yeah, uh, we call it hyper smooth, and um, it's led Hero Seven Black to become the best-selling GoPro of all time so far. So incredible, proud of it. And when you're developing a new product like that, I know you like to go on your gut instincts a lot. How much of that development is we're just going to do it? The market doesn't know what it wants. We're going to create something for them. And we how much of it is data-driven customer surveys, feedback, things like that? We used to be entirely gut-driven, okay. and now we're a nice balance. Um, we, we, we recognize that it's more about what our customers want from us than what we want to develop. And in the early days, when, you, when we were inventing something that hadn't existed before and there was no market data for what the customer wanted because a GoPro had never existed, we had to be entirely gut-driven. Um, and fortunately, we, we were good at that. Uh, but now there's a ton of data uh, for us to use, and, and we have millions of customers around the world for us uh, to um, to ask what they want next from us. And um, there's a ton of information to glean from the social commentary around people's use of GoPro and so forth. So we're doing a much better job now of understanding who our customer is, what they want from us, and building for them. There's still you still have to make gut calls, uh, but fewer than before, and this approach is uh, proving to work really well because mm -hmm. it, it is the uh, the the approach that uh, led us and influenced us in the development of Hero Seven Black. Yeah. So that makes each new product release that much less risky, um, which is really important when you're a publicly traded company, isn't I it? I bet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you have people um, kind of scouring the comment sections of amazing video creators? Yes, and, and, my, and I'm one of them. Really? What, yeah. One of my favorite things to do uh, is to search hashtag hypersmooth or hashtag Hero7Black or, uh, or GoPro and just watch a ton of video and read thousands and thousands of comments to learn what do people think. Yeah. Uh, and are what, you categorizing them or are you just kind of absorbing this mass of... Feedback. Well, we have people that categorize yeah. them and, and allow, you know, everybody else to understand what um, people are talking about in the comments. But for me personally, um, I read it to just get a, uh, a strong sense of why people love GoPro or, or why they're still questioning getting one. Um, and it's, uh, it's also incredibly fulfilling to see 
how much interest and and um, love of the brand uh, there is out there. You know, at, at the heart, I'm I'm a product developer, mm. and I, I look at every GoPro as as you know one of my babies. Um, all of our team feels that way about it, and we all want our babies to be loved. Right. <laughs> so now is a very a rewarding time to be a GoPro because our 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 Hero Seven baby is definitely loved. Yeah. So you must be looking to the next one, though. You you can't rely and on your last. And the next and the next. And so what is next? And what, what do you think people want? Are you allowed to spill the beans on that? I can't spill the beans. <laughs> um, but uh, this, this, the success of, of Hero 7 Black um, really helps us learn um, more about what our customers are, are thinking and wanting uh, because there's so much dialogue about the camera now. It's brought people out of the woodwork. You know, we've shared publicly that roughly half of uh, our app users, the GoPro app users, are on Hero 4s and 3s. These are uh, four to six-year-old cameras. Uh, one of the beautiful things about a GoPro is they're incredibly du- durable. Um, we endearingly refer to them as cockroaches. They're tough to kill. Um, the challenge uh, uh, for the business is that since a GoPro lasts forever, yeah, um, uh, the, the upgrade cycle can be longer um, than one might expect. And what we're seeing with Hero 7 Black is early indications are that uh, it is compelling a lot of people to upgrade, which is great, because then you're you're getting them coming out of the woodwork and you're you're hearing why it is they're choosing to upgrade. What about Hero 7 Black uh, dis- made them decide it was time to get a new GoPro? Um, and um, it's, it's just a terrific uh, wealth of information out there that um, we're learning from. And we're launching several um, research campaigns to dig in deeper and really understand what our customers want to see next. I want to talk now about any advice you might have for young entrepreneurs who want to follow in your footsteps. And one of the interesting bits of advice I've heard from you is actually that people shouldn't necessarily listen to all the advice they're given. That's right. How can we spot the right mentors from the wrong ones, so to speak? Or how do we spot bad advice from good advice? Well, I mean, so much of being an entrepreneur is is being doggedly persistent and incredibly lucky. Uh, I was both uh, and still am both. Um, I think the one of the most important um, bits of advice that I give to aspiring entrepreneurs is to recognize that um, it's going to be harder than you think. And um, if you're still up for it, uh, understanding the challenges ahead, and you're willing to commit 1,000% to the task, at that point of commitment, you already have an advantage over everybody else. Because most people aren't willing to commit. They're not willing to do the work. They're not willing to make the sacrifices to be successful as an entrepreneur. What were your sacrifices? What what was your working week like when you were... Oh, moving back in with my my parents... um, I became a monk for two years, <laughs> partially because I was tired of hearing everybody tell me I couldn't do it. So I just sequestered myself to my, you know, my home office slash yeah. room to to get the work done. Uh, but also, um, I didn't want the distraction. Right? I wanted to make progress. And if I was still as a twenty-year-old out. Um, living a life that many 20-year-olds live, I just realized I'm not going to achieve something extraordinary 
unless I take extraordinary steps to be successful. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily uh, think it's a good idea for people to become as big of a monk as I was. I mean, it was a bit extreme. Okay. But I worked, you know, all day, every day, seven days a week for two years uh, to get GoPro off the ground. And um, I think that level of commitment to a degree is what's necessary to be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, something I, I say is uh, if you want to achieve extraordinary results, you have to take extraordinary steps. And that takes courage and commitment that um, for some reason many humans have difficulty um, stepping up to. Yeah. Um, and then the other bit of advice that I give, and this is a tough one to achieve, is um, try to focus on a field that uh, personally really matters to you and that you're passionate about. Because if you are pursuing your passions in your work, you're going to be more committed, have more energy for it, have more insight because it's something that you're um, something of an expert about because it's something that you really are passionate about and you will have a distinct competitive advantage over anybody else that's in a similar business who's doing it just as a job yeah, uh, or just to make money. And that was massively uh, beneficial to GoPro and still is to this day. And I, I think it's one of the reasons that other uh, camera companies have had a very difficult time competing with us is for them it's there's it's just a, a, a job the, the for the people on the product teams at uh, com companies that compete with us um and in the marketing departments and who are making the financial decisions and so forth it's it's not their authentic passion to be building competitive products uh to to beat gopro mm. um whereas at gopro um the 900 people who work there are there because they're really passionate about the mission that we have to help people capture and share their active lifestyles. We are our own customers as well. And this is a brand that we care very deeply about. We, we think of GoPro as, a, uh, as being on a mission to inspire the world to get out and live a more active life. It's not just about selling product. And that's a very difficult thing for anybody else to compete with because they, they, they're just building and selling cameras. Yeah, That's just a a part of of uh, of our business um but I, I recognize it's it's difficult for people to turn their passions into their careers i, I was i got very lucky yeah do you think it's helpful for people to set those kind of deadlines for themselves you said you'd have to be successful before 30 do you think that kind of impending deadline helps well it was the deadline but it was also i gave myself that time uh to be successful um and I made that commitment to myself. So I think that that commitment is the most is more important than the deadline. The deadline, sure, it's a good forcing function, but um, that I I told myself this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to give myself this much time to do it, and, and that you know, for the most part, every waking moment within that time frame, I'm going to be dedicated to this. Um, meant that I was going to. I was going to find out one way or another whether I was I was capable of, of being successful as an entrepreneur or not. Yeah. My my biggest fear was half-assing it, uh, not succeeding, only to look back and say, "Well, I don't really know if I could have been successful because I didn't really commit." Yeah. 
right? And then all that wasted time and energy and the opportunity cost of, you know, I could have been doing something else. You know, that's, that's, that's one of my, my biggest fears is, is uh, regret. Hmm. And I'm, I'm happy to say that over the 16 years that I've been working um, with GoPro, uh, I have no regrets. Even the failures, I have, they're not failures um, unless you quit, all right? Uh, they're, they're experiences that you learn from and they sh- shape you and shape uh, where your direction. And um, I feel fortunate to have been able to have both the successes and the failures on on such a scale yeah. that, that uh, no regrets. Good. That brings us quite nicely onto our final part of every interview, as you've touched on, is these kind of quick fire questions which are more personal and hopefully about you as much as about your business. Um, but I want to start with, with that question, actually. What do you think you would be doing if you weren't doing this? If you think you'd have half-assed it, as you'd said. That's my Californian accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a career, what would I be doing? Yeah. What, what would I, what, what, what do I wish I could be doing or what do I well, really if, think I If you I think would be you doing? hadn't discovered that idea on that beach and you think you hadn't gone for it, what do you think you'd end up doing? What would be your, your nine to five? I, I bet I, I would have gone to work uh, with a creative agency. I, I'd say um, one of my passions, one of my favorite things to do at work is to, uh, to work on the brand and the marketing side of the business. Uh, I love telling stories. Uh, I love visual arts. This is why GoPro is so fulfilling for me because it is such a visually expressive brand and company that I could see myself um, working on um, marketing campaigns for other companies. Um, But I'd say the the thing that that maybe I love even more uh, is creating experiences for people which also ties into GoPro, but my favorite thing to do in my, my personal life is to create experiences for my, my family, my wife, my kids, and my friends uh, to, um, to inspire them, to motivate them, to wow them. So maybe I would be in, in the experience business, I don't know, working from some hotel somewhere <laughs> to, make, to make its guests extremely happy on okay, their holidays. <laughs> well, that's a nice aim. And, and- who in the world of business do you most admire? Who are your heroes? Oh, that's easy. Dietrich Mateschitz, the, the founder of Red Bull. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah he's, wow. the, he's, he's the man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not a dissimilar kind of model to you. He's just passionate about I just tried to copy him as, yeah. as literally as best I could. <laughs> okay. And uh, I drank a lot of Red Bull uh, in the founding years ago, pro. Uh, still do. And uh, I'm just so impressed with how he... Uh, and, and, and for sure his team, because nobody does this alone, uh, but he's the front man for the band and uh, the incredible brand that, that, that he's built globally and how uh, he and his team have been able to expand, extend Red Bull into so many additional businesses just in yeah. addition to, to the drink company, I think is, is incredible. And also for what the brand stands for, I think is really inspiring. Yeah. Good job, Dietrich. <laughs> I'm sure he listens. So what's your worst habit? Staying up too late. Sleep, what time do you usually go to bed? I'm pretty good about it. But, um, you know, like every, like a lot of people, uh, I'm, I can be a bit of a night owl. And it's when I like to research things and sure. read about things. And, and 
uh, do some of my more creative thinking. But at the same time, it's such a destructive habit because sleep is so important. And I, I used to get away with it before I had kids. I would stay up. I mean, frequently I would pull all nighters because wow. I, I just found it a really creative process. And uh, that, that doesn't work so well when you have three, no, three kids and a, and a wife to uh, <laughs> spend time with. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What are you most proud of so far in your career? Having a dream and committing to it. I, I know how hard that is to do. And um, anybody who thinks that um, it's easy to be successful or that, that GoPro is an overnight success is kidding themselves. I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot of dark days where you just you you think maybe everybody's right and I'm crazy or mm. I'm 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 foolish to be doing this, um, but I'm I'm really proud of committing and and persevering and coming out the other side. Yeah, and, and that that's something that any anybody entrepreneur or anybody who's wanting to achieve something is recognize it takes work, but you will if you commit you will wake up one morning and you'll be successful in whatever way that means to you. And you will be so happy that you stuck with it. Yeah. Think about that morning you're going to wake up and, and thank yourself that you, 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 you saw it through. That's lovely. I'm going to kill the mood by asking what your, your darkest ever morning was. What was the darkest day for you in that, in that long cycle? I can't think of one. Uh, the darkest day? Or the day when you most felt like giving up? I, I couldn't tell you that because... I've, I've never entertained giving up. Okay. Right? I think that that's part of committing. If you're, if you're actually flirting with the idea of giving up... Uh, You've already stop. given up? No, I just say... I call it, um, you know, giving those thoughts the Heisman. You know what a Heisman is? Is that a kind of... It's a football. A handoff. Yeah, no. It's like when you see a football player running and they... They put an arm out stiff to, arm. To, to stiff arm somebody. Okay. Yeah. I, I tend to stiff. I'm pretty good at stiff arming those thoughts. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's, Give them the highs. You know, maybe that's maybe why I'm still doing what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. Good. That's good advice. Uh, do you have a party trick? Several. Any you can not suitable for. Okay. Right. Fine. <laughs> we'll leave that there. What's your biggest fear? What keeps you up at night? Oh, I think my biggest fear would be being afraid. Uh, because that leads to regret. So I think one of your, your, your questions uh, is, uh, what's a personal motto? And that re mm. relates to my biggest fear, which is, um, I'm going to butcher this. Anais Nin wrote something along these lines. It says, um, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's fears. I probably got a couple words wrong, but... Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's fears. And, and that really is about um, your perception of the world uh, either limits or expands the, the potential of your life. And if you live in a world with more fear, you're going to constrain the life that you live. And if you can live without fear as much as possible, you're going to live in a much more wondrous and um, potential-laden yeah. world. So my biggest fear is getting afraid and missing out on experiences just because of my, my mind getting in the way. Yeah. What's your most treasured possession? My family. What about something that's not a human or a dog? Is, is time. There a, time. 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 Time is, uh, <laughs> time is 
It's the ultimate is, commodity. It's the ultimate possession. Yeah. And I wish I had more of it. Do you have an early prototype GoPro camera that's very dear to you? Several. The first ever one, surely, must be in a museum yes. somewhere. Yes. And uh, You'd rescue that in a fire, I imagine. No. No? No. <laughs> I'm not that attached to things. Some of my friends that might hear that would be laughing and howling <laughs> right now, but I'm, I'm really not. Um, as I get older, I realize that uh, experience, shared experiences with people you care about, I know this sounds cliched, but it really is the most fulfilling thing. Uh, there was a, uh, a, uh, uh, a lady priest in, in the U.S. who conducted a survey of her congregation this year. She, it was an article uh, in, a, in a paper I read. I can't remember where. And she's, she's, she interviewed all of the elderly in her congregation, and she asked them, what do they value most and what do they regret the most? And the answer was the same. They valued personal relationships the most, and they regret not having invested more in them, whether it was with their children or their spouses or their friends, and that as they got older, the most important thing to them was relationships. It wasn't things. It wasn't what they achieved in their career. It wasn't money. It was shared energy between uh, uh, humans. Mm. And um, I'm only 43 years old, but... um, I, I definitely feel that with every year, shared experiences, meaningful experiences is what's most most valued, valuable to me. Yeah. And if those experiences can be out on a mountain, you know, skiing or out in the ocean surfing, all the better. Good. Yeah. Is there a book you most often recommend to your friends then? Sapiens. Right. That book, uh, it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's a, a brief history of uh, humankind, I think it is. And that's a real eye-opener. Uh, and it also makes you very aware of time, our place in it, and helps you, I think, pull the curtain back a bit on what's important in life. Mm. It's, a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit scary as well. Yeah. You feel like you can look around the world and, and look around you and recognize that not everything is as it seems. And sometimes being a little bit more ignorant is a bit more bliss. But Definitely. that's a fabulous book. Yeah. And we've spoken about your motto, but what's your idea of perfect happiness? Oh, I think it, again, it's time well spent with people you care about. And for me personally, it involves a bit of adrenaline. That's, that's uh, getting after it as however my ma- mind is made up. It's, I, it's the one place I like fear is if it involves uh, physical pursuit. That, that's the one place I welcome fear into my life. Okay. It's going to get a little bit scared every once in a while. Good. Quite right. I agree. Nick, thanks so much for coming thank, on the podcast. Thank you very much. That was fun. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the worlds of entrepreneurs, raconteurs and tastemakers. But in the meantime, you can read more at thegentlemansjournal.com or follow us on Instagram at thegentsjournal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.